Welcome to the latest edition of the MindCut Conversation podcast, a place to learn about new ideas from thought leaders in the area of optimal health, the science of mind-gut microbiome interactions, food, and the environment. Today, I have the great pleasure to speak to Leo Grady, AI expert and CEO of the microbiome company, Jonah. Leo got his PhD in cognitive and neural systems from Boston University and is the founder and CEO of Jonah and CEO in residence with Prior Capital. He's internationally recognized for his work to deliver AI in healthcare for 20 years at pioneering Bay Area startups, multinational medical companies, including Siemens, and most recently as CEO of Page AI. In this role, he led the company to become an industry leader, internationally launching groundbreaking products and receiving the first ever FDA approval for an AI product in pathology. He authored two books on AI, over 100 peer-reviewed scientific papers, and is an inventor on over 300 patents. Winner of the Edison Patent Award, he was inducted as fellow in the American Institute for Medical and Biological Engineering. As founder and CEO of Jonah, he has developed a stool microbiome analysis platform, which not only uses state-of-the-art analysis approaches to study the structure and function of the gut microbiome from individual stool samples, but also provides users with a unique AI-assisted interpretation of the results. Welcome, Leo, to this uh, podcast. I'm really looking forward to uh, hear about your experience and 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 your venture into the microbiome space using a, um, a a different approach than most other people have done before. And so, let me start out with this with this question: You have a career that's deeply uh, steeped in artificial intelligence research and um, and development. So, how did somebody like you get involved in the gut microbiome? Yeah, it's it's a great question. You know, I actually grew up around microbiology. My father was a virologist. Uh, he ran virology for New York State Health Department. And so I grew up going to the lab with him and talking to him about viruses and bacteria. And and um, so that was something that was just a part of, of my childhood and, and growing up. And then as I went into adulthood, a number of family members uh, ended up being diagnosed with Crohn's disease, colitis, celiac, and for each of them, it was a journey of really trying to find a diagnosis that in some cases took many years. And as you know, the microbiome is implicated in etiology for each one of those different diseases. And then at the same time, over the last 10 years, there's all this incredible science coming out showing the microbiome linked not just to GI disorders, but autoimmune conditions, to behavior, to oncology, uh, to drug efficacy, to liver disease, to obesity, uh, even mental health, depression, anxiety, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, all being linked to the microbiome. And I kept waiting for all of that science to get translated into the clinical world, but it kept not happening. And I felt that one of the barriers was the complexity of the microbiome uh, and a need to really build up sufficiently large data sets to really understand what's going on, to model it computationally, to understand it computationally. And then that would really provide the basis to uh, clinically translate a lot of this work. And so ultimately, it's it's an area that I've been excited about for a long time, following for a long time. I feel like it's personally touched me. 
And um, and now it just seemed like the right time where we, we do know enough. The AI technology is an interesting place. Uh, sequencing is cheap enough that we can start to do this at scale. And uh, that's why I jumped in. So you formed this company, Jonah, which offers several services. And I'm just going to uh, go over these clinical grade, deeper sequencing, AI-backed, actionable, and personalized uh, recommendations, contextual understanding, and continuous learning and, and updates. So let me start with the first one. So clinical grade, deeper sequencing. What, what do you mean by that? We, we do stool testing. We do gut microbiome. Um, it's a stool test that you can take at home. We ship a kit to your house and you ship it back to the lab. We do deep shotgun metagenomic sequencing, identify all the bacteria, the viruses, the fungus, the protists, the archaea, everything that's in your microbiome. And because we're doing that with sequencing and not PCR, we really identify what's there. We also identify the genes as well as the species. And because of the depth of sequencing, we can get down to a strain level. And so you mentioned the genes. So can you can you also make any conclusions about the function? I mean, obviously there's a shift within microbiome science in the last few years, um, kind of a way, I mean, not totally a way, but um, incorporating more and more the, the 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 functional aspect not just who is there but you know what what are they doing yeah absolutely and that is a a really important element of of today and of the future i would say that at the moment there's more literature on linking different species of who's there as you say to different disease processes um we are learning as as you point out more and more about function and the genomic signatures for that. I'll also say a few other things is that the genomic analysis allows us to do a few other uh, elements as well. One is understanding antimicrobial resistance, uh, whether certain species in the person's gut are going to be resistant to certain antibiotics. And uh, the other thing is that there there's some new research that's actually starting to show that uh, rather than looking at the association of different species with different disease or disease processes, actually just looking at the association of different uh, genomic components in these species uh, with different diseases. And so it's a, it's a bit of a shift, not only toward function, but toward looking at the, the DNA of these organisms and linking that to disease processes rather than the species as a whole. And so I think that's an exciting area of, of research. And as that literature grows, having the, the genetics will allow us to leverage that as well in terms of trying to analyze somebody's microbiome. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously, you know, often cited example, there's these different strains of, of E. coli, some being beneficial, others like entotoxigenic uh, E. coli being, you know, really dangerous. Um, and, and, and that probably... Uh, applies to a lot of the species that have sort of been, you know, reported by these tests, um, like even uh, Acamantium or, um, uh, you know, Prevotella is a good example where, where there's, it, it spans the whole spectrum. Um, so with your test, you, you take this into consideration. You don't just say there's too much because like when I see, you know, in, 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 in my clinic, I mean, I see patients coming in with these 
20 page reports and you know it lists the good and the bad ones and patients are generally totally confused the only thing that they and maybe that's intentional the only thing that they get out of these reports is um to know which supplement is being recommended for their particular microbiome so if i do the test with you i haven't done it yet but it's uh, i've ordered the test so i'm looking forward to it um well do you go down into uh, you know these as you said earlier into the strain level and in terms of the recommendations not just based on if if one species is is there or highly abundant then uh you know you said it's a good thing or it's a bad thing so i mean does your test and program take it take this in, into consideration yeah so i think this paradigm of good guys and bad guys is one that is uh very simple and certainly within the probiotics industry it's very easy to say uh take our supplement because we've got all the good guys or take our drink or whatever it is because it contains good guys and you know take antibiotics for the bad guys the reality is a lot more complex than that uh, it's the entire ecology that matters uh, certain organisms being too low can be problematic certain organ the same organisms being too high can also be problematic uh, martin blazer has um, you know these all these stories about h pylori and how it's generally uh, vilified rightly and and a bad guy quote unquote um, but h pylori the absence of h pylori is also associated with things like GERD and so it's not so simplistic and easy to say that that h pylori is is either strictly good or strictly bad I think there are, there are elements of both and you know we can turn the dial one way or the other and that's true of not just h pylori I mean these organisms have uh, co-evolved with us and have been around for a long time. And so part of the change I think we need to make in the whole field is to get away from this paradigm of good and bad. But to your question, what, what we do at Jonah is basically uh, when we do this shotgun metagenomic sequencing, which identifies the bacteria, the fungus, the virus, everything down to a strain level, uh, then what we do is we built a large language model, a form of AI that reads the entire microbiome literature. Every single month, there are more than 2,000 papers published in PubMed on the microbiome. So nobody can read all of these. doesn't matter how many CME credits you, you get, you're not going to be able to get that entire literature. And so the AI reads all of that and then provides a summary for the individual of all of the diseases, all the conditions, all the symptoms, the allergies, everything that's been linked to a microbiome configuration that we find in that individual. And for every linkage that we describe, the AI cites the, the relevant papers. We link out to the, those papers in PubMed if you want to go read them yourself. We tell you how much evidence there is, whether it's preliminary or more established. And then insofar as there's some issue found in your microbiome, then the AI goes through the literature and sees what you can do about it in terms of diet, in terms of lifestyle, or even in terms of medication to be able to say, you know, these actions that you can take would move your microbiome in a better direction, or the, these actions have been shown to be more efficacious for somebody with one type of microbiome versus another. Yeah, I mean, that's really a huge, I mean, this is really 
the point that has attracted me the most to you know to your program um that you do these these additional services not just the sequencing but these additional services that normally a patient either goes to their physician the great majority of whom do not know the answers because they're not they're not trained in in, in microbiome science and whatever they say may just come from some marketing from some you know supplement company um, so to, to to give this information, put it into context, and then um, provide some actionable recommendation, I, I think that's one of the biggest strengths of of this program. Um, well, I I, I want to uh, elaborate on the point that you're making there because I really think that separating out the lab testing from the AI from the interpretation is one of the key opportunities with AI. Uh, and if you think about what I did personally in my own career, um, building AI in pathology, building AI, AI in cardiology, building AI in radiology was a very similar paradigm, right? So just prior to Jonah, I was CEO of a company called Page AI uh, that built AI systems in pathology. And so we took digital pathology images. We had the first FDA approved AI system in pathology to detect prostate cancer on needle core biopsies. and what we did there is it didn't really, we didn't run the lab. It didn't matter who did the sequence or who did the tissue extraction or the cutting or the staining or the mounting or the scanning. And it didn't matter what scanner you used. Uh, but at the end of the day, our AI could look at that digital image and find the cancer. And so from a healthcare standpoint, there's a real separation between that lab work and the AI interpretation. And so with Jonah and with the microbiome, I see a very similar, we're taking a very similar approach. So if you're doing the sequencing, and we partner with a lab that can do the sequencing, but um, even if someone's doing the sequencing themselves, we are an AI company and a software company that can interpret that data regardless of who did the sequencing. So long as it's of sufficient quality and depth that the data is good, uh, the AI can provide that additional service and, and really create, I think, more value out of the data than just a big long list of species. So does your algorithms, uh, do they um, take into, into consideration the, the quality of the publications? I mean, there's, there's obviously a lot of stuff being published that, that does not meet that, that criteria. Um, so your, your algorithms take this into account and do not include texts of publications that, that do not meet those criteria. Yeah, we we have uh, we take into account quality at two levels. So first, there's just an inclusion bar. Um, so we only include peer-reviewed papers, only papers that were studying humans, only stool samples, only sequencing. Uh, had to be uh, you know in vivo studies, not in vitro studies, um, and they had to be uh, studies that were uh, in patients. Uh, age five or older. And so all of these different inclusion criteria says we don't even look at papers that are not peer reviewed or, or don't fall in, you know, animal studies that don't fall into those criteria. But then even papers that do meet those criteria, we give them a quality score, which is a function of the size of the cohort of the study and the impact factor of the journal that they were published in. We don't want to be in a position of trying to assess everybody's uh, methodology or or judge their science 
we we really wanted a, an approach that's standardized where we can leverage just cohort size and the um, impact factor of the journal. And so with that, when we do the summary for somebody, we weight studies differently depending on that quality score. So like a large study in the New England Journal, it's going to get more weight than a smaller study in a, a second tier or third tier journal. So um, I'm not an expert in, in AI, even though I'm, I'm fascinated by it. So how much um, biological or medical or scientific supervision or um, you know, input does this have? So is there somebody like, for example, with the recommendations, is, is, is there somebody with knowledge in, 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 in the field that would look at the results or, or do you trust 100% on the output from the AI? So we do have an amazing clinical advisory board. We do have some MDs on staff. Um, with the recommendations though, remember we're not practicing medicine, right? What we're doing is saying, these papers have shown that with this microbiome configuration that you have, a FODMAP diet is more likely to be successful or less likely to be successful. And that there's, you know, this was a, a high quality study or a low, lower quality study. So we're not, we're not managing these patients. We're just providing this information to them and, and their, their physician to say, this is what the study says. And this is, you know, the quality of the study. Ultimately, you know, we're just providing them that information. Uh, and not trying to practice medicine in any way. Um, is this the is is the quality of these results high enough? I'm just thinking about, you know, your main target are are patients, obviously. Um, but well, doctors are a really important constituent too, for sure. Yeah, but but I mean, this this kind of product could equally be useful for for even scientists that work in the area. Like if you, you know, if you write a review article on 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 the microbiome and IVS, you you could use that as well. I mean, that information. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because it, it's pretty frequent now that people will reach out to me, our partners or people that we know and say, hey, what's known about uh, NASH in the microbiome? Uh, what organisms are, are linked with, um, you know, metabolic disease in the microbiome or whatever it is? And so these are things that we can just pull out of our knowledge base uh, now that the AI has read all the papers in the literature. And we can really highlight, you know, which species are associated, what's known about those species, et cetera, et cetera. So from a, a company standpoint, we haven't really built a dedicated research tool or product. It's certainly something that we plan on doing, uh, probably in conjunction with the life sciences industry and the biopharma industry. Uh, to really help them better understand um, stool samples from trials and, and whatnot. But we're we're certainly open to working with the academic community on this as well, because ultimately we want to advance microbiome science and we feel that, that it's more than just we can do on our own. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the the, the prospects or the, the, the potential of this is really amazing. When I think about this, I mean, just having having had this personal experience, you know, for like for our um, newsletter posts, you know, which are written by uh, you know very smart students and and um, um, people who have just graduated, and and then I'm going I'm I'm going over uh, each of those. So 
just to find out, you know, what we will get if we had AI do the same article. And it is actually pretty remarkable, you know, how, I mean, first of all, in terms of the style and the, com the composition of the article, probably AI beats most, most people that I work with. And, um, but the content is, is usually correct, you know, and it's very careful. It doesn't, it doesn't make these claims, uh, you know, points out where, uh, can't really make this conclusion, or this is uh, ongoing research, uh, uh, you know, which I like. I mean, that's kind of what 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 a system like this should should do is. Um, I mean, do you feel the same way that, that uh, you know, if you have, I don't know if you've done this, but you know, to show data sets to the microbiome expert and 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 say, you know, can you comment on on, on our findings and. And then compare this to what the AI interpretation is and recommendation is. Is is that? Do you have a similar experience? We do, and we we work with uh, our scientific advisory board includes some of the the world's top microbiome scientists, and we're frequently looking at results with them, and they're extremely knowledgeable about the microbiome and different organisms. At the same time, they're, they're human. They can't read 2,000 papers a month. And, and even if they could, and even if there were you know, 300 papers on Parkinson's disease and, and the microbiome, trying to remember what each of those 300 papers said and then apply that knowledge to look at somebody's microbiome is, is something that's very difficult for humans to do. Um, and so they may remember, okay, you know, F. prosnitsi is low or acromancy is low. That's a, that's a bad thing. And it's linked with a few different diseases. Um, but as you, to your point earlier, the whole ecosystem matters. And, and it's not just acromancy being low, it's acromancy being low and something else being high. Uh, and then, you know, the, the configuration of an, a number of these organisms. And I think that's very hard for people to do mentally. But this is where AI can really help us by being systematic and reading the literature and then applying these papers to interpret the person's microbiome. We can be really consistent and uh, and then also always cite back to the literature so somebody can go read it themselves and come to their own conclusions if they want to. So you emphasized earlier <clears throat> that you only look at, at human studies um, or we have AI just, just look at uh, human studies one unique thing about this field is, as it, as it is in many areas of science and medicine, that this big, this big translational gap between, right. and it's particularly strong, I think, in, in microbiome research that all sorts of claims are being made, you know, and started really with the, with the, with the brain-gut microbiome in, interactions that all of a sudden, you know, articles in the lay press came out that um, depression is caused by dysbiosis and and alzheimer's and 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 that's usually based on on mouse studies and right. then when you when you look at the actual translatability i always say it's lost in translation 90 percent you 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 cannot you know see human studies that really confirm this uh, unequivocally there's a few exceptions so by by not looking at the preclinical literature is, is is that um are you concerned about this or uh that you don't take this into account, like like for example, the whole thing about which I'm most familiar with, uh, you know, anxiety, depression, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, you know, those those areas. It's it's a tough question, right? Um, 
throughout medicine, we, we face this, this same issue, right? I mean, uh, I, I've heard people in oncology say it's great to be a rich mouse because we can cure any cancer in a mouse. Um, but those cures don't always translate to humans. And it's, it's never clear when they're going to translate and when they're not going to translate. And even though we may have a good model for different diseases, I think it, animal studies can be hypothesis generating. And I think they can allow us to work out certain mechanisms. Um, but if what we're trying to do is look at somebody's, a human person's microbiome and draw any kind of conclusion from that, and, and link that to depression or anxiety or Parkinson's or whatever it is, I don't feel comfortable leveraging the, the preclinical studies there. Um, so it's not that we can't read them. It's not that we couldn't incorporate them and other people may have different views. One of the, the great things about where we are now with microbiome science is that there are enough human studies that we can start to draw some conclusions. And I would say that we don't need to necessarily go to the, the mouse models. Um, but I think one, one could argue it either way. Uh, I would just personally feel more comfortable and more solid being able to say something about a study in human being more relatable to analyzing a human's microbiome. Yeah, and I would totally agree with that statement. You know, I mean, the, the complex, and particularly if you, if you deal with, with the brain, I mean, the complexity of the human brain is just, I mean, it's like two, it's, it's like two different machines. To totally. There's not, there's not that much, there's some similarity on the, on the most basic level, like on the amygdala level, but everything above it is totally different. So, you know, to, to make these, these claims, what you see in the mouse necessarily has to uh, relate to, to human pathologies is, is just not, unfortunately that, that mistake is made, you know, repeatedly. And I mean, the, a big amplifier of these mistakes is really the lay press, you know, like something comes out from a mouse study in nature or in science and immediately the, the, you know, the heading is, do we have a solution to human depression, you know, or something like or that. Or autism or things like Aut that. Autism is another good example. Yeah. Yeah. And, and before I started the company, this was one of my motivations because I would, you know, dutifully take probiotics uh, and buy them and people, you know, sometimes even doctors would say, oh, well, those are the good, those are the high quality probiotics. Those are the low quality. And I'd look at these different species levels and I would say, what, why these species and why not these species? And, and why are these the good ones? And these are the bad ones. And what problem am I trying to fix? And why is this relevant to me? And I was reading, you know, the lay press. I was reading the, the scientific uh, literature and there were all of these uh, amazing findings some of them in, in animals, some of them in humans. And it just seemed like there was a, a big gap in trying to connect those, that science and that research to understanding of, of my own microbiome or of what any particular probiotic might do. And so, you know, one thing that we do at, or we don't do at Jonah is create probiotics or sell them or, or market them. Um, not that we're against it or anything like that. It just our view is that the, there's so much information in the microbiome and we want to really be loyal and true to the, the patient and the doctor to provide them that information and not, you know, use as a, a mechanism to, to sell some supplement. Um, so it's 
you know, partly from a, the standpoint of our values, we haven't gone in that direction. But in terms of endorsement, uh, I've, I've seen some of that on uh, on your website. So you 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 do endorse certain <clears throat> certain probiotics for certain. Uh, you do not. We we don't endorse any particular brands or anything like that. Um, what we can say sometimes is, um, so let's say somebody's microbiome is associated with a certain condition or a certain disease, and that their microbiome is low in certain organisms that you can buy in commercially available probiotics. So we may say, you know, find a probiotic containing these organisms um, that may help reduce that association. Again, we don't know causality there, but um, that might reduce that association. But we don't say buy brand X or, you know, we'll sell it to you or anything like that. I mean, this would obviously be something impossible for AI to decide because there's so few human studies with probiotics that would meet, for example, criteria, FDA criteria for approval of a uh, of a drug. I've seen it many times that you know the companies that that have a a a successful um, you know well-selling probiotic, the last thing they want to do is do a big controlled randomized study because the chances are that it comes out negative. So how um, how does AI evaluate really the paucity of of those kind of studies? I mean, there's, there's a few exceptions now. There's a few companies that are doing this or are in the process of doing it, which which I really admire. And you know, um, actually, this is one of my criteria. If 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 I go on the external advisory board of a company, if they are willing and and have a track record of doing this. Um, but but how does AI evaluate this? That so many claims are are based on really uh, either in vitro studies on, on on cell cultures, or and you can show anything on cell cultures or on uh, you know mouse intestines. So. Well, we if there are probiotic studies that meet our criteria of human and and uh, you know sequencing and et cetera, et cetera then it's something that we would include in the AI and we would um, assign a quality score based on the size of the cohort and the quality of the journal. So we would treat it like any other study. You know, one thing that I personally struggle with when I look at that literature is a lot of these studies are done using, quote, probiotics, but the probiotics aren't selected for specific strains or partic particular species and there seems to be a, a view that all probiotics are the same. And, and if we know that certain microbiome configurations are associated with different diseases or, or that your particular deficiencies may be uh, associated with particular diseases, it would seem like we would want to control for uh, inserting the right species, the, the right strains, and do the studies in that way. Um, but again, I'm not running... Uh, probiotic studies. And I think, as you point out, there there's some companies that are doing a good job here. Um, I would just say that a lot of the studies that are out there are ones that you know, have a fairly low quality score or aren't even included because, as you say, they're in cell cultures or, or animals. So this also gets to this point about, um, you know, the, the potential of precision medicine and, and what a program like Jonah um, offers 
you could consider this is a necessary step to precision medicine that you don't just say, you know, one type of probiotic fits all. Um, and one approach that companies have, have made is that you don't just add one one strain or, or you know or one species of a probiotic in, in, into a supplement, but use ten or twenty so to cover the whole spectrum. So even though people have different baseline um, microbiome ecosystems, this mix of, of a large variety would be good for, for, for all of them in, in some ways. Possibly. Uh, I do think there is a really exciting opportunity for precision medicine with the microbiome that even goes beyond probiotics. Um, you know, because we know the microbiome can metabolize drugs, that we know that the, the microbiome interacts with the immune system. There have been several studies that have looked at, um, you know, with assessing the, the person's microbiome state uh, pre-treatment, you can tell efficacy of, or you can predict accurately the efficacy of different drugs. And that includes drugs like immuno-oncology drugs, um, drugs like infliximab, um, as well as uh, these new GLP-1 receptor agonists that are out there. We, in each of these cases, we have literature that our AI has read where we can look at the person's microbiome configuration pre-treatment and at least according to the literature, you know, this person may or may not um, or would likely do better or worse on these different drugs. And so, you know, we're so used to precision medicine and oncology, but I think there are real opportunities with the microbiome um, to extend precision medicine to GI and to metabolic disease as well. So do you intend for, for your company to ultimately get into this wider field of precision medicine? 100%. Um, you know, my my goal in creating Jonah is to really use AI to understand the role of the microbiome in human health and fully understand the, the role of microbiome in human health, both from a diagnostic standpoint and a, a treatment standpoint. And then take the next step ultimately of re-engineering the microbiome from state A to state B so that you can move it in a better direction. So we're starting with this initial test where we do deep sequencing, the AI reads the literature, summarizes what's known, summarizes what you can do about it. Ultimately, our ambitions are, are much greater than that um, to really build the foundation for understanding the microbiome and making it much more actionable. Um, you know, people talk about the microbiome like uh, they and say it's a new organ. Um, but if it's a new organ, it's not like a kidney or a heart or something like that that you can you can see or you can study or you can take a an MRI of. And I feel like that's what we really need to build is um, you know what is the equivalent of a, of an MRI for the microbiome? How how can we build that? How can we uh, take that data, that really complex data? and put it in a visual environment for a doctor to be able to interrogate it, to ask certain questions of it, and to really be able to answer those questions uh, to help get to the right diagnosis and ultimately the optimal management plan for that patient. One other, I mean, there's so many really exciting um, potential applications of this, you know, and I'm sure it will revolutionize medicine sooner or later. I mean, it's just the beginning, I would say. Um, 
this disability is another ability that you know the microbiome holds promise for is that uh, <clears throat> that you would be able to predict uh, in a in a healthy person or in an at risk person um you know just like with the the risk genes that that you would assess somebody in their teen their teenage years and say particularly somebody for example who is who has a family history of parkinsons or Alzheimer's, and you would uh, could assess the risk uh, of that person developing, and there's a long time span. So we know, you know, from the time it starts in the gut, uh, like Parkinson's, it could be four, 12, 14 years before the first neurological abnormalities kick in. And as you know, oftentimes you have uh, GI issues as an, an yeah. initial presentation too. Is this something I, that you see in the future when there's more evidence? To support this, and more, I mean, the longitudinal studies are hard to come by because, you know, which investigator would would want to wait fifteen years, you know, to actually confirm the hypothesis? But uh, I, I think there's a growing number of, of studies that I, I would say, particularly in in Parkinson's, that you could assess the risk early on, and then, you know, have into have have a long time, have ten years of possibility of intervening in a in a prophylactic way. Do you, do you see this as one area that you might get into as well? Yeah, and this is one of the reasons why we're starting with a, a testing service like we are now, where the goal is to get as much value and as much you know, scientifically rigorous value out of a microbiome test today and start there and use that as a, a starting point to be able to collect more data and to really be able to interact with patients and doctors over time to see how they're using the information, to see how their microbiome is changing, how that relates to uh, disease processes, to um, interventions that, that they apply. And I think uh, to your point, um, and I think one of the really exciting things about the microbiome in general is that as we're able to build these sort of predictive biomarkers, um, the microbiome is changeable, right? I mean, if you take the teenager example that you brought up and you detect a BRCA gene mutation. Okay, so now that's very useful, right? You know, this this woman is at higher risk, much higher risk for breast cancer. And you can you can take action on that one way or the other. Um, but you can't change that that BRCA mutation. I mean, maybe in the future you can CRISPR it up and and change it, but today you can't. Mm -hmm. uh, with the microbiome, if we do detect a signature like that. I think we we will have the opportunity to re-engineer the microbiome in a way that moves it in a, a positive direction so that association um, is no longer there. And again, we don't necessarily understand causality. We don't always understand causality in the in the genetics space either. Um, but what we do know is that if we detect one of these signatures, it's at least an early predictor. And if we, to your point, if we could detect Parkinson's 10 years before the onset of neurological symptoms, that offers uh, you know, many opportunities to, to treat the patient or to work with the patient and also develop new therapeutics that ultimately can help prevent the, the development of that disease or slow the progression at least. The possibilities are really un, unlimited, at, and and given the, the the speed that this field is moving forward, and the number of publications that have been increasing exponentially, you know, you, you think things are in the pipeline that you can't even think about right now. And um, 
at the moment, I mean, my my personal assessment of this is, um, you know, may not be shared by many of my colleagues, but uh, in terms of what's come out of microbiome research in the preclinical realm, that has been, you know, paradigm shifting, uh, even though it's, you know, it's 90% from the mouse. What's come out in terms of um, effectiveness in, in 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 the human realm, that there's a, a much bigger question mark still there because we may not have the most, the current probiotics may not be the most effective ways of, of changing it. Um, you know, obviously diet is a huge influence. A lot of people are not willing to change their diet. They want to take their probiotic, but not change their, their lifestyle. Um, so I'm, I'm a lot more skeptical at the moment, based on the current data, that this is fundamentally changing how we deal with diseases. But the the, the potential that we just talked about is 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 amazing. You know that. Yeah, and I think one of the the things that I keep coming back to personally is is all of the literature on on fecal transplants, and you know obviously uh, a lot of the attention has gone on recurrent C. difficile infections, and now we have the first. FDA-approved therapeutics using the microbiome to treat recurrent C. diff. Um, but, you know, as you know, there there's so many uh, individual case studies of someone receiving a fecal transplant and it having a really dramatic impact on their health. Mm -hmm. And the thing that really strikes me, though, is that it's very hard to predict who it's going to work for, who the donor should be. Um, Obviously, some people have had adverse events associated with these, and and yet what it tells me is that if we could really understand that, and we could really understand uh, the role of the, the the person's microbiome in that disease process, and how we would want to engineer it in a way that would would move it in the right direction, that it would really offer the opportunity uh, potentially to cure some diseases. Uh, in the way that we've seen with, with some people with uh, fecal transplants. And we're a long way today from really understanding all those variables, really understanding that that link between the, the person's microbiome and the disease process, as well as the, uh, you know, what kind of donor or like what we would need to change the microbiome to in order to affect it or the ability to change it to that state. Um, but the fact that it can happen and that, you know, there's so many different examples of it uh, gives me hope that as we are able to understand these questions better, that we'll really be able to make a dramatic uh, improvement and, and difference for, for individuals suffering from some of these diseases. Coming back to your comment about, the, you know, all these different variables. So one big variable, obviously, in terms of the microbiome is diet. And, and I just wonder... How does diet enter your um, interpretation of of your sequencing data? So we ask uh, the patients about uh, their diet. And so we ask a lot of questions about the kinds of food they eat. Because we're basing the analysis and the recommendations on the literature, uh, oftentimes that literature is not, um, you know, looking at the individual's diet you know, pre-study, right? So uh, oftentimes they'll say like, okay, well, we took people that had this disease or we took people uh, who were healthy 
and we put one on a meat only diet and one on a vegetarian diet and then we change their micro or then we assess their microbiome at the end of three weeks or whatever it is and so there are those kinds of studies and so we we know from that body of literature that certain dietary changes can affect your microbiome in specific ways um but we don't use the person's diet in any of the associations uh, with a disease process. And if somebody says, okay, well, I, you know, I don't want to adopt a Mediterranean diet because I'm a, I'm a vegetarian. Okay. That's up to them. Right. But all we can say is, you know, this is what the literature says would help you potentially in, in your situation with your microbiome and, and the issues that you tell us you're having. Okay. Yeah, I mean, this has been a fascinating conversation. I have to say, you know, um, I've I've talked to a lot of people who are in this commercial space of testing the microbiome, and um, and this, you know, talking to you has certainly been one of the most uh, most exciting conversations. And and you know, on on virtually all the points that you bring up, I mean, this is particularly reassuring to me. Is you are in many ways a pretty strict. Take take a pretty strict scientific view on this, and and not you know trying to sell products uh, you know in the in the in the background. So I I think this is really an, an exciting, and I can just see you know in the future these various opportunities that we touched upon um, evolving as 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 major applications of 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 your approach. And I think to your point, trust is so important here. Um, you know I think we all saw the the you know criminal blow up with Ubiome a few years ago. Um, beyond that, you see people in the supplement world or in other parts of the microbiome world make you know wild claims that are are not always supported. And and yet to me, you look at the science and there's there's real uh, exciting stuff there. And so it's very important for us that we we be very transparent and that that we earn the trust of of doctors and patients because in particular because of of some of this other noise out there and um and really always be be driven by that north star of of providing the best information but only what we can say and not beyond what we can say yeah i mean unfortunately this you know what you just called noise is 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 actually a pretty strong <clears throat> a pretty strong background noise that often um obliterates the signal, you know, that should come out of this. And this is def several reasons. I mean, people now, you know, authority is no longer um, academic credentials, but it's number of um, Instagram followers. Uh, very good examples, you know, that you see on the internet that um, it's the main, I would say it's the main criteria that, that, that the majority of people actually follow. You know, they don't, on the other hand, scientists have not taken on the task of taking this themselves to the to the public. You know, there's a there's a reluctance of 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 scientists to sort of spend any of their time not writing NIH grants or doing the research, but actually communicating with the public, which I think is equally important. Well, at, at the same time, if you you know, when I go to DDW, uh, I see you know, I, th I counted, I think, 450 talks and posters on the microbiome at, at the most recent DDW. And the GI docs that I talked to, the pharma industry, they they all know that there's something there. And I, I would actually say that I've, I've yet to meet a doctor 
that says the microbiome is not important. I think that there's a difference in opinion on, on when we'll know enough to have clinical translation. Some people think it's around the corner. Some people think it's 10 or 20 years out. Um, but I've yet to meet somebody who doesn't feel that the microbiome is really important and that, the, that if we understand it, that we can really uh, level up on our diagnosis and treatment of a variety of diseases. And you look at, at people like, like Jim Allison at, at MD Anderson, uh, you know, who invented immuno-oncology, won the Nobel Prize. You know, the gut microbiome is, is a key area of their program for really understanding how the microbiome uh, impacts, you know, plugs into the immune system and how that affects cancer treatment. And so really some of the, the world's top scientists are, are working on this. And, but he's not out on Instagram or, or you know, running ads. Um, and so I think to me, the, the, the truth of the science and like the excitement of what's there is really what's important. And, you know, I think if we are representing it effectively, that that ultimately will, will win out. Yeah, I think this is a good point to to close our conversation. It was really exciting talking to you. I have to say, you know, looking forward to collaborations in the future um, with with your programs. Sounds very exciting. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, if you still want to say any final statement from from your side, no, this was really wonderful. Um, I really appreciate the the work that that you do. I'm excited about your. PBS special, and I really appreciate the the work that you've done to elucidate and, and illuminate the the role of the the gut brain axis and uh, that mind gut connection. Because you know, even though a lot of GI doctors are paying attention to this, I see less of it in the uh, the neurodegenerative world, and I think there's an enormous opportunity here. Um, so I really appreciate your work. Yeah, so thanks, Leo, again, for, for the time we've taken to, to this conversation. And um, yeah, as I said, look forward to interacting with you in the future. Thank you so much.